0: Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity. Electrolytes for taste. Hello and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vanderwerf, the I, and I Think You're Interesting. And this week is really going to put the I and I Think You're Interesting because we're going to be talking to people from the circus I've always had a fascination with the circus, even like I understand sort of the concerns people have about, you know, treatment of animals and the many other things that people have have said the circus is at fault for over the years, but I I just, I don't know. There's something weird and romantic to me about the notion of this group of people traveling through the middle of nowhere, setting up a shop in these tiny little towns. And, you know, actually, let me tell you a little story. When I was... When I was, like, a really little kid, the one big thing that happened in my town of 800 people was, like, this weird circus came, and I don't know where they came from, I don't know why they set up shop in my little town, but we all like got to go and tour the tents and stuff like that, and this was not that long ago, it was, like, 30 years ago, and... Yet the circus is sort of dying off at this point, is sort of the opinion I think a lot of people hold of what's happened to it. Uh, So I wanted to get some people in who know what they're talking about, connected with the new PBS documentary, Circus, which is airing next week, October 8th and 9th. It's a two-part documentary. It's wonderful. It it really digs into the history of the circus in America. So we have Dominique Chandeau, who has a long history with the circus and is now sort of a historian and curator and person who keeps track of all of this history and then we also have jonathan lee iverson who is a former ringmaster for the ringling brothers barnum and bailey circus Ringmaster is one of those jobs that I probably wish I should have had. Anyway, if you're not interested in the circus, I apologize, but please stick around. I was fascinated by some of the stuff that these guys said, and, and they uh, they kind of pushed back on some of the biggest criticisms of the circus, and I don't know if I buy it, but I, I liked hearing what they had to say. So stick around. I think you're going to enjoy the talk. And... This week's episode was recorded at the TCA Press Tour back in July. We recorded it in a hotel ballroom, and while, you know, it's it's mostly quiet, there are some background noises every so often. So if you hear that, it's not somebody breaking into your house, it's just the recording. We travel the earth to bring you the finest podcasts, and sometimes that takes us to hotel ballrooms. All right, let's take a listen. My guests today are Jonathan Lee Iverson. He's a former ringmaster with Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, how are you? And my other guest is Dominique Jandot. Uh, He's a circus historian. Hello. Hello. So you're both here sort of to talk about the history of the circus. And one of the things I think that a lot of Americans think, the history of the circus begins with P.T. Barnum. And I guess that's not quite true. So, uh, Dominique, I'd love to hear like, kind of what is the... What is the early history of the circus in the United States? Well,
1: it's a little bit complicated, but we are celebrating the 250th anniversary of the modern circus this year, Mm. uh, which came to being when an equestrian named Philip Astley presented in London equestrian shows, and in uh, 1770, actually it's two years later, he added acrobats, jugglers, clowns who came from the theatre and so on, to his fair of entertainment, and uh, that became extremely popular. And the modern circus, as we know it, was born. Mm. Although, of course, the tradition is a lot uh, older than that. It started in... Yeah, the first caveman who <laughs> <should> juggled three, <laughs> uh, three stones was uh, the first entertainer.
0: Great, great, Jonathan. Uh, as a former ringmaster yourself, take me through the emotional experience of like going out there in front of the crowd. Like in the modern day, when like sometimes I don't, I don't know that we think about the circus every day in the way that maybe people did back in the day.
2: Well, they do. I mean, uh, circus. It's it's interesting going off of what. Uh, Dominique is talking about the origins of circus. It's very mysterious. And, uh, you know, people are always fascinated by people who fly and do daring things and talk to animals. And we're always fascinated with animals and other living things that are foreign to us or foreign to our parts of the world, which explain, you know, uh, you know, the American circus's great popularity. Um you know, you're going to all of these rural places, as the documentary showed you, you know, and you're going to all of these places that where people basically live in a box, you know, they just live in their corner of the world. And the circus was really the first kind of anything that just brought the world to regular everyday people. They weren't going to see elephants and lions and tigers, and they weren't going to see People from Europe or Africa or Asia, they didn't even know what that was, you know, and they weren't going to see women, you know, fully realized, unapologetically gorgeous and, you know, for lack of a better word, badass, you know, I mean, like they, they, they weren't going to experience those things. And so I can imagine living back in that time. I mean, man, what a, what a tremendous gift that must have been and how, how many imaginations... Uh, that spark to, yeah. to see that,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how does one become a ringmaster? Like, what's the job application process for that? <laughs> it's
2: kind of like the Dalai Lama. No, was, <laughs> when I was born, they, no. um, you know, really it was, it was just by chance. I always say there are three types of people who are into the circus. There are circus babies, those who are born into families that are already well-established, so they have no choice. That's what they're going to do. Uh, they're runaways, they're folks who, you know, they have a, an epiphany, a compulsion. Uh, they see it. That's what they want to do. And then they're opportunists like I think the majority of us are who, who end up in something like that. It's not something I planned. I mean, because they, these are otherworldly people. Uh, so when I was approached after an audition, for uh, the Fireside Dinner Theater. I was uh, 22, and I was trying to uh, raise money to go to Europe to further my studies in opera, and I, that's what I was going to do. And uh, I got this strange phone call about, hey, well, how would you like to audition for Ringmaster of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey? It's like, you know, it's like somebody saying, hey, would you like to be in the CIA and serve your country? <laughs> you know, so I, I... I mean in my twenty two year old mind I was like, Man, Ringmaster, that's a great pickup line. <laughs> you know, so I, I thought, wow, that'd be cool. I could do that for a year or two, you know, and I'll always have a great story turned into eighteen years. But yeah, it was just by chance, that's all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dominique, uh Jonathan mentioned the people who ran away to join the circus. I'm and, one. Uh, yeah. you I, are? Wor- I worked in the circus you did, for you did. 50 years. Oh, wow, yes. that's amazing. <laughs> I uh, When I was, one of my first assignments as a reporter, this little traveling circus came to town, and I went and interviewed them, and there were all these people who were like, I had this office job, I hated it, I was like, I'm going to run away and join the circus. And I'm like, there's this rich history of this that we now just sort of say as a saying. So tell me a little bit about both your experience and then like the history of running away to join the circus. No, running away,
1: you know, uh, it's, uh, circus families, for instance, you have to start them. They don't come boop, like this. It's uh, just somewhere. Usually the, the normal story that you read over and over again is uh, the guy in his little town somewhere in Italy or wherever, and there is a troupe of high wire walkers, dancers, acrobats, Uh, animal trainer and he falls in love with a beautiful uh, girl scantily dressed who were presenting whatever and follows her and it's how it starts so that's the the old uh, story and then you can decide to go to the circus but you know I, I'm, I'm French, and I have a, a circus tradition which is a little bit different from the purely American circus tradition. It's a European tradition when circus when I was young, we had two circus buildings in Paris mm. changing their program every month. So uh, the circus didn't come to town. We just went to the circus as you would go to the theater. So you can be attracted by that, like you would be attracted by the theater. Uh, about being an uh, opera singer by anything artistic like this. and uh, so there are so many stories. Uh, of course y- you have also the people who run away and join the circus as a about, uh, you know uh, a laborer that's more likely but to become a, a circus performer is not that easy. And uh, now you have a lot of circus schools, for instance. Uh, my wife, who is a, a very famous uh, aerialist and Russian, uh, went to the Moscow Circus College. Mm-hmm. And because she discovered uh, circus, in you no know, youth circus, and there are plenty of them at very high level all over Russia and the former Soviet Union. And she discovered that she liked that, And her teacher said, you know, you should try to do the entrance exam at the Moscow Circus College, which is a college. And it was something quite complicated. It it took three days, and there were about 500 participants. They took 10 girls. Oh, wow. And she was one of them. Uh, And then she stayed there for four years to learn everything, and then to create an act. It took her Two years to create her act, so it's not something you say. Okay, I'm going yeah. to be a circus performer. It's, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, yeah,
0: my college roommate uh, ran to ran off to audition with the circus, and he had a juggling act he did. And they said, "Well, we could use a truck driver if you want to do that." Yeah. He kind of <laughs> went away,
1: <laughs> and now he's a nuclear engineer. So, um. hello. <laughs> I have known, actually, a, a physicist, a, a nuclear physicist yeah. who joined the circus and became a clown oh, in wow. Italy.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, what's kind of the biggest misconception people have about the circus that either of you have encountered?
2: I think people underestimate the, the commitment to craft because the word is associated with so much that is negative. Um, you know, people don't think it through. You know, they're not realizing you're watching people. They're not just crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it takes a lot of sweat equity and a lot of intellectual power, in my opinion, and imagination to actually make your body do the things that they do. And on such a high level, you know, and a daring level, I mean, that's that requires... Everything. I mean, that kind of level of focus is astounding to me. And to do it night in and night out for over probably 500 times a year is amazing. And so I think the big misconception is that this isn't really an art. I always say that the circus arts truly, in my opinion, are the zenith of artistry. Because, I mean, <laughs> you know, with all due respect, we're here in Hollywood Denzel Washington, who I love, and Meryl Streep, who we all bow down when she walks. I mean, the reality is they've never gone on set and thought, you know, if I miss this line, I'm dead. (laughs) You know, I mean, a circus artist, you know, the daring acts, that's what they have at the forefront of. I don't think they have it at the forefront of their mind, but they work in such a way that. It's so critical for them that their level of uh, preparation is far more dynamic yeah. than actors and singers and others who you know will live
1: <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> but uh, on this there's also a, a great misconception is this idea that uh, all what there is in the circus is taking risks. risk. Mm-hmm. It's not true. It's trying to do something extraordinary and beautiful, Mm -hmm. and which is sometimes relatively dangerous. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my wife is a a trapeze artist, and uh, she swings and uh, do half pirouette, caught herself with her heels, and swing with her single heels. She never had an accident, and she had a little safety. It's not somebody who is pulling a Uh, that we call those big uh, cable to keep people. She was just attached to her trapeze. So uh, from time to time, in rehearsal, not in performance, she fell. And that is pretty painful, even if you are attached. Mm -hmm. If you are not attached, you can kill yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you are attached, it's a little cable, and it can just slack on your leg, on your... uh, yeah, and it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. But what she was trying to do is to do something beautiful and, and uh, extraordinary that other people don't do. And just to try to go beyond her own limitation in a way, to make people see that, uh, human beings can go beyond their own limitation, and for me, the circus is what is left of the old rituals of survival. Mm. Uh, when you needed, and some circus arts uh, form uh, of, of the circus arts actually come from these rituals, especially in China. But it's uh, you, you need to see that you can overcome your limitation, overcome your fears. And the audience needs that. And mm. it's why they like to go to the circus.
0: Well, what did, what did you do in the circus, Dominique? What was your...
1: Uh, actually, I, I did part of what he did. I was a ringmaster. Oh, right. And uh, I was a clown mm. uh, at the beginning. But that's in Europe. It's very different from America because we speak, we play music, a lot yeah. of things like that. Mm. Um, and then uh, for 20 years in America, I was uh, associate artistic director of the Big Apple Circus in New York. So I put shows together, hire performers, uh, and uh, i still uh, artistic director of the Lone Star Circus, which is a small company in uh, Dallas, Texas, so I'm still very much involved beside writing books.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. It's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smartwater, vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste. What is kind of the state of the, the modern circus? It, it, it feels to me like um, people have predicted the circus would go out with the movies, with television, and it's still
1: kicking. But like, like what, what kind of health is it in in 2018? I mean, everywhere. It's a change of times. So it ha- the circus, as it has always done, has to adapt.
2: Yeah, it's an evolutionary type of thing. It's sort of what you're seeing with the toy industry. It's funny because their big iconic stores are closing. And so you're seeing maybe smaller shops, even pharmacies and hardware stores taking in toy inventory, you know. And so at least here in the States, you're seeing smaller shows prosper mm-hmm. to a degree. And, and they're not the, the big... Uh, you know gargantuan shows of old they're not ringling brothers and barnum and bailey but they they still give people that that fix there's a former ringmaster of ringling brothers by the name of kevin vanados who has a, a a show he established some years ago it's a small show but he's seeing some wonderful success and mm-hmm. do in large part because people still want that they want it they want that feeling, I and and again, it's hard to describe. I don't think it could ever die. It'll always evolve in some way. Obviously, with Ringling Brothers exiting the scene, that was a major uh, loss, but it it didn't doom the circus itself. I, Actually, I it
1: made room. You know, for that, a lot that's, of small you, companies. No,
2: you're, you're right. That's a that's a great point. I think it, it made room, and I, I think it also open the possibilities of doing more innovative things, you know, and, and that's how the circus has always been though, you know, even in its heyday. I mean, it's always going to find a way. I always describe the circus as a living, it's living art and, and living things. They just grow, they evolve, they, they morph, they die out, but they, you know, they resurrect. It's all sorts of, it's a cycle, you know, and we're in this interesting cycle, at least in America, where um, you're seeing smaller... I hear about it all the time. The smaller shows are seeing success. You're seeing people do some things that are more innovative. They're pop-up shows. Former performers who have smaller businesses, they're doing more corporate events, things of that nature. People, they want that nostalgia. They want that spirit. So it's interesting. I guess it's going the way of technology, you know?
1: Yeah, it's also... It's a question of, of culture. The American circus was very, very, very specific mm-hmm. compared to the circus in South America or in Europe or in, in Russia, which were the re- one-ring tradition, very uh, respectable and artistic. But if you go to Russia, for instance, Moscow has still two permanent circuses, mm. circus building, the Circus Nikulin and the Bolshoi Circus. And the shows are just mind-blowing, and it's full every night. And the Bolshoi Circus has uh, 3,500 seats. And uh, Circus Nikolin, which is a little bit more intimate, has 2,000 seats. It's full every night, those, those shows. Um, St. Petersburg, they just uh, redone the oldest circus in Russia. I mean, it's a very old building, which was uh, built in 1880-something. And they just restored it, in it's all... Imperial glory, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you have wonderful shows there in Europe too. You know the situation is also changing in this country, in Europe, in Russia, or elsewhere. But according to uh, how they are able to adapt quickly to the new situation, they survive pretty well. Circus Knie in Switzerland—it's still a national institution, mm. uh, and it's one of the best circuses in the world. So. You know, you mustn't just look... People in in America had noticed when Ringling closed, it's, okay, the circus is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and there are other things, other circuses, small companies who are suddenly coming out. Well, speaking about about Ringling Brothers and then about
0: Barnum and Bailey, like the, the documentary, uh, The Circus, which uh, we're here for, really kind of focuses on those personalities. Of course, P.T. Barnum is very famous, but James Bailey mounted this world tour of his acts uh, by ship, which sounds, I don't, I'd never want to do that, Uh, be on a ship with a bunch of elephants. Um, And uh, the Ringling Brothers, of course, uh, but they sort of um, created this more family-friendly atmosphere in a lot of ways. And these personalities uh, loom over the American circus in a big way. So I'm wondering if either of you have thoughts on like how those personalities uh, affect the way Americans view the circus still to this day.
1: You know, they, it's not only the Ringling Brothers and uh, P.T. Barnum or, or Bailey. Uh, you had uh, Adam Forpo that people have forgotten, who was a big competition. I'd never heard of him
0: until I watched the movie, yeah. He,
1: he was big. I mean, he was the main competition for P.T. Barnum. Mm. Uh, but of course, those circuses uh, were so gigantic uh, that. They, they took the. They made a big shadow on, yeah. the, on the others, but there were plenty of, of circuses at that time, mm. of all sizes. And also, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey survived everything mm-hmm. until uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. so, I, I like
2: that. I mean, that's really the truth. I mean, it, a lot of it is a game of survival. There were all sorts of amazing showmen and 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 even women and impresarios back then, many of whom we've forgotten, who were major, a major deal back then. I mean, there was Dan Rice. You know, a lot of people don't know when they're looking at Uncle Sam, they're looking at a circus clown. You know, there's a book about it. that so, you know, the most famous man you've never known. You know, um, I mean, in his heyday, he was bigger than Lincoln. He, he was huge. But, you know, time, you know, evolution is just a funny thing, you know. Before you know it, you know, we have the story that we have now. And it's like uh, Dominique said, I mean, basically Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey, all of those showmen survived until about now, you know. And they had a long-running legacy. I mean, the fact that your name can be so synonymous with circus, it's, it's telling to how great they were in what they did i mean i i always look at pt barnum and and others as uh, in many respects he he was the father of modern pop culture i always wonder you know what he would have done with the world wide web Mm. you know (laughs) i mean like you'd have had too much fun with it
0: i'm a little horrified by that idea (laughs) actually (laughs) oh me too (laughs) Well, let me let me posit something here, and you guys can tell me if I'm way off base. But there's still that urge to see people do fantastic things or to see, you know, trained animals do something fantastic. It's just a lot of the time now we're watching it on the computer screen. You know, we're pulling it up on YouTube or something like that. Do you think that idea of we could see any of this instantly has sort of eaten into the circus's cachet? Or has it maybe enhanced it in some ways? Yes
2: and no. We do have a culture of insta fame and give it to me now, there is a power in that and seeing it. But nothing beats the living, breathing thing right in front of you. I mean, you will never be as overwhelmed by an elephant until you're in front of one. And you can't get that on a YouTube video. I mean, it's the same even with your house cat. I mean, you can't get that with a YouTube video, you know, And, and it's partially why you see so many I hate to say it to so many people that they don't know how to have relationships because everything's become automated, you know. You're texting instead of actually talking. And and so, you know, I think people we've been so inundated with technology, we're we're probably going to have to circle back around and relearn how to live amongst each other and and, and interact with living things. Um I think you know, again, that's that's to me. That's always been the, the the hallmark of circus, is that it's really a celebration of living things, and you have to be in it, and you have to be engaged, and it's going to be thrilling. Like, I mean, it's it's it, it, it's something for the senses. I mean, everything is livened. I mean, the smells and, yeah. <laughs> and the range of smells. You know, the sights. I mean, the sound. I remember we would invite blind students to the show and to experience it through them was just a very humbling experience for me because I just thought, I mean, how are they going to really enjoy it naively? Forget about it. These kids were picking up things that me being a sighted person, you know, I took for granted Mm. with my ears and the sounds they heard and how they broke it down and the things they smelled and felt. They had a blast. You know, same with the deaf. You know, I mean, they may be limited in one area, but, I mean, the circus is true. That's when I knew. I said, wow, the circus is really for everybody. Like, you're going to get,
1: everybody gets something out of it in their own way. You know, there is something also, what you say, that you, you have to experience the real thing with it. The, the smell in the circus is something very important. <laughs> <laughs> we all went through stables and menageries and things like that. Um, but uh, if you if you watch everything in life through a screen or a video, you don't have any idea what what it is, what life is about. You know, it can be. Uh, range. You, you have uh, superhero movies with people doing incredible things. They don't do anything,
0: <laughs> they are just <laughs> right. hanging
1: to a harness with a green ski, uh, screen behind. Uh, and the circus is where you see people doing the real thing, and the emotion is 10 times bigger because they are here in front of you. The same with animals. When you, you see uh, an elephant or a horse or uh, or a cat it's not a question of danger or exotism it's a question of life of sharing the life with other creatures than ourselves and it's very important and this is a thing which is for me it would be very uh, damaging if that disappeared this possibility
0: well I, we're kind of heading into the end but i do want to ask in your association with the circus both of you um we've talked a lot about like the economics of it and how it's evolving and changing, but in your time working for it, what was the big change you saw here? Like here's off the top of my head, like sort of the treatment of animals within the circus has changed within my lifetime in terms of like how they're housed and all of that. So like, what are some of the changes you saw during your time working in the circus?
2: For me, at least where I stood, it, it became a bit more corporate. I, I know, you know, having worked there, how careful in, Well thought out, a lot of things were, almost to a fault. (laughs) You know, it's always a danger when something so artistic and so lively begins to be corporized. Yeah, That's not a word, really, but you know what I mean. It's like it becomes a little stifled, and um, that is something I saw uh, that began to happen. Now there are great advantages, too. You know, we always had funding and my check cleared on time. Um, there's the advantage of, you know, the certain access you have. And I guess it gives you a certain uh, nobility, too. But um, I, I think when you're dealing with something as lively as a circus, you, you have to uh, allow it its license, its natural license to be. A circus audience is the most diverse thing you'll ever see in your life. I, and I've been, you know, I've been fortunate to be a part of a lot of different uh, genres of entertainment. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's amazing. You will see, I've seen everything from dancing nuns to bikers to Amish families to, to bachelorette parties. I mean, you name everybody. Loves it. it, it it's it, it's the most fascinating thing. I mean, I even you know I remember there was a college professor I met, brilliant, brilliant woman, and um, she had her apprehensions about uh, circus and you know how the animals might be treated and whatever. And out of all those people I always <laughs> I ever had conversations with, she was the only one to take me up on a challenge. I said, "Well, why don't you come to the show?" And she said, "Okay, I will." And I invited her, I got her tickets, her family. We had her husband at hello. I mean, he walked in there, this, this handsome man, he turned into like an eight-year-old. And um, after the show, I, I promised her I would take her backstage and I cleared it with our animal personnel and they were happy to meet her, answered all the questions Then she got to see the animals, and I mean, this is an intelligent person, so it wasn't like you were going to pull one over on her, but I introduced her to one of our handlers, our trainers who'd been there for 50 years, and then I pointed to an elephant we had there, who was about 46 at the time, and uh, I said, you know who that, that elephant is to him? She goes, what? I said, that's his wife. She, I told her, I said, to, to give her an understanding of that bond. I said he had bottle fed that elephant when she was a baby. And this elephant, everybody knew her to be feisty. She only listened to him. She wasn't dangerous. She just was mischievous. You know, and that was the beauty of working with all those different animals. Every animal isn't the same. They all have their little personalities like we do. Some aren't as social, some are mischievous, some are always in your face. They want attention. Please, but I'm here to please you. Others get care less. Others you don't really want to be alone with, you know. I mean, and, and that's how it was. But when she saw that, I mean, it really changed how she thought about it. And then she became a fan uh, thereafter.
0: You know, things like that, you know. Well, we end every episode by asking our guests some of the same questions. I'm going to ask a circus-altered one for you folks, which is, what is the... Uh, circus related thing that you don't do but you wish you could do. so uh, like do you wish you could swing from a trapeze do you wish you could train elephants something like that
2: you know that's a hard one for me because I really so much I just enjoyed being ringmaster and the thing about being in the circus is you really love what you do. but if I had to choose and and I had some courage <laughs> it starts with that. if I had to choose i would I would probably be. Uh, a cossack writer oh okay Yeah, you know, I, I would probably do that and i know that's uh, that's so strange to me but um i think I, it's the only thing i can think of that would probably give me that kind of rush and thrill you know if i had that kind of courage and i was willing to condition myself like that uh but since we're speaking fantasy yeah i'll be a cossack <laughs> writer
1: <laughs> in. uh I always loved uh, animals and big cats, and I have met a bunch of them over my years, but maybe I would have loved to be a cat trainer. Yeah. It's something I, I really... I love great cat trainers. I dislike very much lousy cat trainers. Mm. By that, I mean unartistic, uninnovative, mm. not just being the macho guy in the, in the cage with... That's not very interesting, but uh, I've met and I've seen a lot of really great cat trainers, and it's beautiful, and I love the animals. I love being with the animals uh, it's uh, so that's maybe the only regret <laughs> I would have had, uh, but i I help passing the the cats through the tunnels and things like that. Oh my and goodness! I was young and uh, <laughs> I <laughs> so, always just waved them. They, you right? you just stay I, w- over I went into a cage. I, you know, I,
2: <laughs> I went in a cage once with Mark Oliver Gable. And he was kind to me. He he brought out the cubs, <laughs> and, that was, and even then I was like, hey, "How are you?"
0: <laughs> well, Jonathan Dominique, thank you for joining us. The film is Circus. Thank you very much. Thank you. I Think your Interesting features death-defying acts in all three rings in every episode. And standing at the center of it all is myself, Todd Vandorff, the executive producer and host of the show. Our producer is Bridget Armstrong. Our editor is Griffin Tanner. Our executive producer of audio is Nishak Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Ewell. Our logo design is thanks to Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Alreich. Our production coordinator is Carrie Clements. Our audio engineering is thanks to Ernie Hurtado of the Rebel Talk Network. And this week we recorded at the Beverly Hilton in Beverly Hills, California. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you get find podcasts you can email me todd at vox.com. you can email the show ityi.podcast podcast at vox.com you can tweet at me at tvoti to we're going to be back next week with more folks from the world of arts and culture media and entertainment just people i think are interesting and until then it's not a circus unless there's a tiger jumping through something that's on fire Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. It's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity. Electrolytes for taste. Hey everyone, here is a quick message from our friends at the Eater Podcast Start to Sail. I'm Erin Patinkin of Ovenly. And I'm Natasha Case of Cool House Ice Cream. And we're the co-hosts of a new podcast from Eater called Start to Sale. Each week, we'll have fascinating conversations with smart, passionate entrepreneurs about the journey to succeed in business.
2: We have Christina Tosi from Milk Bar,
0: Jane Wirwan from Dermalogica, Piera Gelardi from Refinery29, and a whole lot more. Give it a listen. And if you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe. You're going to love it. Smartwater is the founding partner of Start to Sale.